Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti, all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. <laughs> The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. What's up, Clips Nation? Welcome to another edition of The Lob, The Jam, The Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Zajac, and joining me this week, another week with Clips Nation writer, Robert Flom. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Doing as well as I could, given the weather here in the Pacific Northwest, where I reside here in Eugene, Oregon. We've been in the middle of an ice storm this entire weekend, so I haven't left the house pretty much uh, this the past Saturday and Sunday. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to, to sunnier skies. And the thing that uh, at least brings me great joy has been the Clippers play this past week. You yep. know, you and I were on the podcast uh, for last week's show, abbreviated show as we came out on a Wednesday, back to our normal Monday now. But, you know, the Clippers went 3-0 and for the week. Wins over the Grizzlies, a surprising win, considering that Chris mm-hmm. Paul and Blake Griffin were still out for that game then. Chris Paul returns and is back to his nearly fantastic self with the Clippers getting wins over the Sacramento Kings and Miami Heat with him back in the lineup. And I want to start this week's episode talking about the return of Chris Paul. You know, not only did he play spectacularly in his return to the starting lineup following his hamstring injury, but moving into 10th all-time in the NBA in assists, now has Mm -hmm. over 8,000, closing in on Andre Miller and Gary Payton, who respectively sit ninth and 8th on the list. What was kind of your big takeaway from his return and, and the Clippers play overall this past week? Well, I think the biggest takeaway is that he looks very healthy. You know, I was a little concerned that they brought him back even this quickly, just because as we spoke about on Wednesday, hamstring issues can be very troublesome. They can linger for a while and it's best to rest them for as long as possible. So they don't reoccur. 
So that could still happen, fingers crossed that it doesn't. But right now, he looks very unencumbered. He played well against the Kings, and he absolutely dominated uh, the Heat tonight. Well, not tonight, this afternoon. So I think he's looked as good as Chris Paul always does, which is a Hall of Fame-level player. And the Clippers improved with him. You know, they improved from being a very bad team to a pretty good team overnight with his return. I think there have been some encouraging signs even without his return, but it has to look good for all Clippers fans and for NBA fans in general to see Chris Paul playing again. He's one of the best players in the NBA still. Yeah, absolutely. And not, and not to take away from, you know, the rest of this roster, but watching this team play without Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, you know, two of the top 10, top 15 guys in the entire NBA, it's just, you're not watching the same team as, as you were as if they were in the lineup. And we've seen this team in years past play great in stretches where one of them is missing. When both of them are missing, that's a completely different story because Mm -hmm. the Clippers just can't simply replicate the kind of production that those two bring. And the biggest difference that I notice, and I'm sure many of our listeners and everyone else here at Clips Nation notice, biggest difference with Chris Paul in the lineup is simply this team is much more careful with the ball on offense. You know, Chris Paul assisted turnover ratio against the Kings, 12 assists to three turnovers. And then this afternoon against the Miami Heat, a staggering 18 assists to just one turnover. So that's, that's, I think, the biggest thing that you simply can't replicate when Chris Paul is out of the lineup because, you know, no discredit to Raymond Felton, to Austin Rivers, to Jamal Crawford. They're just not the passers. The ball handlers simply don't take care of the ball as well as Chris Paul does and, and don't have, you know, a myriad of other attributes that Chris Paul does, don't have the floor vision, don't have, you know, that leadership aspect, which I think is the biggest thing that Chris Paul brings to the table. So I'm, I'm certainly excited that he's back in the lineup. And I think now the Clippers held him out. I think more, more often, or at least in years past, they might've rushed him back a little bit. And we, and we saw yeah. Chris Paul yep. play in the game against new Orleans, you know, a couple weeks back, and we don't know for sure if he re-aggravated something in that game, but then uh, after playing that game, of course, had now that extended period of time where he was missing games, and the Clippers had that six-game losing streak before rebounding nicely this week. So it's mm-hmm. great to have him back. As you mentioned, he looks you know, pretty much close to, if not 100%. And, and the nice thing is the schedule this week lightens up a bit with you know a couple days off between games now, and the Clippers are at home, so it makes for you know, a little bit better time for Chris Paul to heal up any, you know, sort of soreness from that hamstring injury. Cause as we talked about last week, and as you just touched upon now, hamstring injuries are always, you know, sort of a fickle beast in that they can kind of come back depending on what happens over the course of a game and a couple of games played here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But with Chris Paul back now, obviously the team's still missing Blake Griffin, not expecting him back until, you know, I would imagine late January at this point, uh, one week from today would essentially be the four-week mark from when he had surgery, which is kind of the earliest of the timetable that Doc Rivers gave at the time of his surgery. Is it, for the most part, with Chris Paul back now, sort of getting back to normalcy with this Clipper team, and, and can they sort of challenge the upper tier of the Western Conference again? Well, I think that back to normal is, is a good uh, description. I think they will be back to, you know, roughly where they have been in years past with one of the big three or big four injured, which is a pretty good, you know, 60% winning, you know, win percentage team, you know, they'd be in like the low fifties, probably uh, maybe high forties without them. And that's probably what they're going to be. So yeah, we should expect to see much improved play overall as, Chris Paul continues to get healthy and plays more. I'm not sure about challenging the upper tier anymore. I mean, I'm still hesitant about San Antonio, regardless of how great they are in the regular season. Most of their players just don't scare me too much in the playoffs. I'm, I would probably regret saying that. But Houston just looks for real right now, and they look scary. They just beat a pretty good Raptors team in Toronto coming from fairly far behind, and it wasn't even that close the last few minutes. They just score so many points, and they have just enough defensive players to get them by. So I don't know if their defense will hold up in, like, an intense seven-game series, but they look like a borderline dominant 
regular season team. They're 30-9 and nine right now, just two games back of Golden State, just one back of San Antonio. And unless Blake Griffin comes back really early or Houston has injury issues or collapses, I really don't think that three seed is going to happen. But will they win against, you know, better teams than they have in the past few weeks? Certainly. You know, I think any team but those three and maybe – you know, a couple of better Eastern teams should now be, you know, you can pencil it in as a probable win now, which is what it has been for the past few years. So, yeah, I think they're going to play like a top four team in the West. I still don't think they're as good as those top three teams unless Blake Griffin comes back. And while I don't have, you know, direct information or sources, you know, much less contact with Griffin himself, I would be shocked if he came back, not even a week from now, even in maybe at the very, very end of January. Um, there are some rumors that he might not be back until after the All-Star break, which kind of makes sense just to make sure he's healthy. That is a long way away. But, yeah, one week from now is not going to happen. Two weeks from now is, I would guess, is almost certainly not going to happen. So it'll be tough to keep them, you know, in that top three race with, with that news. The nice thing is that, with Blake Griffin being out for an extended period of time, we have a little bit of history to go back on and kind of, you know, last season the Clippers were without Blake Griffin for a few weeks there in the second half of the season with the injuries that Blake Griffin was nursing. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw the kind of the game of Chris Paul taken to another level and, and this team essentially made up for not completely made up for the loss of Blake Griffin, but, you know, played very competent, and very high yeah. level basketball without him. So that does having Chris Paul back does give you at least that sense of optimism that the Clippers can at least stay in the number four seed where they are mm-hmm. right now, because a home court advantage is huge in, in the Western conference, especially for that first round, you know, right now, if the season ended today, the Clippers would be playing the Utah jazz in the first round. And that's someone that the Clippers have struggled with over the past couple of years. So yep. I think having that home court advantage certainly helps Um, in that regard. Uh, And we'll get to where the Clippers will finish a little bit later in our show here in a a new segment that we have a new game that we wanted to test out here on the lob, the jam, the pod, which I'm excited to, to bring back. But I mean, long story short with Chris Paul coming back, I do think it's a return close to normalcy, obviously Blake Mm -hmm. Griffin, not back yet, but at the same time, you have a top five player in the NBA back in your lineup and you know, for the most part, that'll keep you in every single game that you play. Whether or not, you know, they're going to end up winning games against the top three in the Western Conference in the Rockets, Spurs, and Warriors will remain to be seen. The Clippers have done it against the Spurs. We've seen that already uh, just recently. But at the same time, I'm with you. Rockets look scary. The Warriors are still the Warriors. Um, The Cavs still the best team in the East. But for the most part now, you at least every single night know that you're going to be dealing with a high level team playing at a much higher, higher level than they were without Chris Paul. And that at least, like I said, gives you a better sort of optimism moving forward that the Clippers can, you know, sort of regain their footing after that six game losing streak where both of their star players were out. And Mm -hmm. what I want to touch upon next is sort of what I want to say, possibly the most polarizing player for the Clippers (laughs) of the last couple of years. And I think, has has kind of hit a peak in that discussion this year due to his play. The emergence of Austin Rivers, and at least the national narrative on Austin Rivers, or at least, you know, maybe it's it's more so people commenting on Facebook or, or in the comment section of Clips Nation or all, all kinds of different blog sites here um, around the country. But for some reason, there's this, I don't know how to say it, there's this narrative that Austin Rivers is only in the NBA because Doc Rivers is his coach now. And and the only reason why he's making the money that he does is because doc is behind the bench. But I think most of us here at clips nation and most diehard Clippers fans and, and fans who follow the team regularly, Austin rivers has become a fantastic role player for this team. And one of the better backup guards in this league. I mean, just from last season and, how he's improved he has now career highs in points assists steals made three-pointers three-point percentage and true shooting percentage now granted he has started a couple of games more so than he normally would given the injuries that the Clippers have suffered this season but at the same time like 
that is fantastic production for Austin Rivers, someone who, before he came to the Clippers, was almost out of the NBA. Last season, played much better defensively. I think he made huge strides last year in becoming an above-average perimeter defender to now where, you know, he's the best perimeter defender outside of Chris Paul, at least guard-wise, on this Clippers team. Mm. Luke Mbamute needs to get his credit as far as his individual defense, but... I, I'm kind of interested to hear your take on Austin Rivers because I think a lot of the national kind of story on Austin Rivers not being a decent backup guard is just absolutely ludicrous. What about what about you, Robert? Well, I think you you touched on most things. Just as a disclaimer, I was not a fan of Austin Rivers. I thought he was not a good prospect coming out of college. He was awful his first couple of years. I didn't even particularly like the Clippers trade for him. But you know no, you same. have to keep an open mind. No, I was I was thinking the same thing when he first came yeah. on. I wasn't exactly psyched about it either. Yeah, very few Clippers fans were, and I think if we're being honest, I mean, the Clippers might not have traded for him if Doc wasn't, you know, the GM. I think that's a fair thing to say. It's impossible to know whether he would be out of the NBA if Doc hadn't acquired him. I think you know he was re- he was one of the worst rookies ever his rookie season. He improved enough his second year that I think somebody would have taken a flyer on him. But, you know, even for most of last season, I think there was a very credible argument to be made that he was, you know, a fine NBA backup player. He was. He was more defensively oriented. His offensive production is still pretty poor on the whole. But he was definitely an NBA player. And this year, as you've said, he's really become a far superior player to what he was last year. Though some of this does have to do with improved three-point shooting, which I think we're going to touch on a little bit later. I don't know if what he's doing is entirely sustainable. It might be. I hope it is. But there's no doubt he looks more confident on the offensive end. He just looks more competent as an overall player. I think his defense has actually fallen off a little bit since last year. But offensively, I mean, he gets the basket a lot. He's now making open threes. And I would agree. I mean, when you look around the NBA – and all of like the backup point guards and shooting guards, Austin Rivers is one of the better ones. And I think, you know, there's a lot of dislike toward him because he was so bad his first year or two because he really is very, you know, he is very cocky. I don't think I don't think he would deny it. But I think in basketball players a lot of time that's a good thing. You need to be confident about your skills, about what you bring to the table. And it can rub off poorly sometimes, you know, especially when he wasn't very good. But I don't think that's a real reason to dislike him. I think, you know, a lot of people don't particularly like Doc um, because of, you know, perceived complaints about whining and stuff. And so I think some of that rubs off on him. But I don't think, you know, even NBA fans who I talk to on Twitter or wherever, you know, other writers, bloggers, whatever, even if they don't particularly like Rivers, they'll acknowledge now at least that he's, you know, he's a serviceable NBA player, which I think is still aiming a bit low for him, but uh, I think that general consensus, at least in the NBA community, is swinging. There's still some, you know, crazy fans and, you know, haters, if there's no other better way to say that, who, skeptics, who, you know, don't think he's very good. But I think at this point, with like almost two and a half seasons now on the Clippers, I think it's, it's getting harder and harder to deny that he's going to be in this league for years to come, regardless of whether Doc is the coach or GM or not. He's good enough to be paid, you know, about $10 million a year. At least I think so. And, yeah, he's been he's been fantastic this season as a whole. Yeah, and, I mean, he's never going to live up to his draft billing. At least I don't think no. so. I mean, this, he no, was a top not. 10 overall pick back in 2012, number 10 overall to the New Orleans Pelicans. But at the same time, I mean, he's only 24 years old, which is something that we have to... I mean, he was very young coming into the draft and just how he's improved leaps and bounds since he's come in because I I was with you and with many other Clippers fans at the time when the Clippers traded for him. Man, I don't even know if Austin Rivers is down the line going to be able to crack the rotation, much less be essentially the first or second guard off the bench for the Clippers now and essentially being the energy piece for the, for the team. You know, he's come up huge in a few games against the Orlando Magic a couple games ago where the Clippers had nothing going offensively. Austin Rivers hit seven threes, and ultimately the Clippers equal went out. Just this week, you know, putting up 
20-plus points efforts against the Grizzlies and the Sacramento Kings in Chris Paul's return. But for the most part, I would say he was the main reason why the Clippers were able to pull off that victory against the Grizzlies earlier in the week. He was the best player. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just been refreshing to see his growth from the time that he joined the Clippers a few years ago to where he is now. And, you know, he's still going to have his kind of gut-wrenching plays where you want to tear your hair out where you know he completely stops the ball on offense and essentially takes a step back three-pointer fading away and and or driving the lane and tries to finish at the rim and either just for some reason doesn't finish or gets just absolutely blocked by whoever was guarding the lane but he'll have those moments and I don't but I don't think that's anything that you wouldn't expect from any other serviceable backup guard in this league there's a reason why there's a reason why these guys are backup guards and not starting for NBA teams is that, you know, there's parts of their game that are very unrefined and very inconsistent. And that's the same thing with Austin rivers. You're, I think now at least there's more consistency, consistency to his game. And that offensive production has been much improved from years past. So essentially what he means to this team is like I said, he's a huge energy piece for this team. And a huge spark plug in that you can kind of plug and play him in different positions. You know, Doc has has inserted him as the starting small forward in in stretches, especially with Blake Griffin now out for the past couple weeks and for the at least the foreseeable future here, depending on the matchups. And Austin Rivers can give you decent quality minutes at that spot. So I like the versatility of Rivers. I like the improvement of Rivers and just his overall demeanor. You mentioned the cockiness. I think the cockiness, especially in the NBA, where at times it's such an individually defined sport that you need that sort of cockiness in order to play in the NBA at a high level. So the all, emergence yeah, of Austin I'm, Rivers has, has been a fantastic thing to see. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, all the star players that you can think of are incredibly cocky, regardless of how you know great they are off the court or you know teammates or whatever. I mean, you think of Steph Curry or James Harden or Russell Westbrook, and the first thing you think of is like them making crazy shots and dancing and celebrating. They have to be cocky to take, you know, Curry when he takes 35-foot shots or Harden when he's taking on four guys in the paint and, you know, whatever. I mean, the only guy who it's hard to see without is kind of Kawhi, but I'm sure he has a lot of inner confidence. He might just not express it much. But, I mean, Austin Rivers has a, a star mentality without a star level playing, which I think is part of the reason for this flight. But I mean, yeah, I'm 100% with you. Every NBA player just about has confidence. And most of the ones who don't wash out because, you know, after a few missed shots, they'll stop shooting or they'll slump. And that kind of stuff is way more damaging than continuing to play. No, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, I mean, you kind of summed <laughs> it up for me there and I was kind of at the end of it, but I mean, Austin Rivers, like I said, has emerged as, you know, as being, the Clippers fan that I am, I would argue that Austin Rivers is right there with Luke and Bahamute as far as my favorite Clipper outside of our big three um, of DeAndre mm-hmm. Jordan, Chris Paul, and Blake Griffin, just with his play, especially as of late. And like I said, time and time again, the energy that he provides off the bench. And I want to segue the Austin Rivers conversation to a brand new segment that we're introducing here on the Lob the Jam, the podcast, a, a game that I wanted to try out called Take It or Leave It. Essentially, we have five statements here that Robert and I are going to go through. And at the end of that statement, I'm going to throw it up to Robert, and he's going to say whether he'll take that statement or, or essentially accept it as being true at the end of the year or leave it alone and choose not to touch it and say it's not going to happen. And we're going to start that segment of Take It or Leave It with Austin Rivers has a three-point shooting percentage of above 40 to close out the year. And right now, his three-point shooting percentage, which is a career high, stands at 40.3%. What do you think, Robert? Are you going to take it or leave it? I'm going to take it. I think that take it means I think it will happen, yes. Correct. Um, Yes, I will take it. I think that's being a bit optimistic because he's never shot anywhere this well before. But I think he's taking better shots. I'm trying to look up – the NBA new website is not very good. I'm trying to look up percentage of threes taken off the dribble versus off the catch and shoot. I know he's hitting a ton of off the catch three-pointers this year at an incredibly high rate, higher than you know many 
you know, superior or people would think of as far superior shooters. Yeah, and... I actually have the uh, that that what you were looking for kind of here in front of me. Uh, believe it or not, Rivers, one of the most efficient spot up players in the NBA this season, mm-hmm. ranking in the 96th percentile in spot yep. ups, and also sitting sixth place in the league among players who have attempted at least 75 such shots being spot ups with 1.32 points per possession. Now that's not necessarily only three pointers, but that's spot up jumpers. So yeah, I mean, I think that he's taking better shots from out there, which means that he's making more of them. I think his shot, I need to go back and do much more video analysis on this. I think his shot looks better than it did from earlier in his NBA career. I think he sets his feet better and squares up a little bit better than he used to. So I think he can keep it up. 40% is pretty high. That's basically elite level three-point game. But, you know, I'm feeling optimistic, so I'm going to say that he can. What are you thinking about that? I was surprised by your answer. I was thinking you were going to leave it, and I was hoping that (laughs) I was going to be the antithesis of that because I am also going to take it. And more so, in addition to the point that you mentioned being that he is taking a lot more or shooting spot up threes at a much higher percentage and getting those open looks. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that to this point in the year, teams haven't respected his shooting ability and it's kind of worked in his favor. In the last 40 games of last year, Austin Rivers actually shot 39.7% from three point range. Mm-hmm. Improvement was sort of, you know, lurking in the shadows even last season. And I think it's come to a peak or a certainly more improved point so far this season. So I'm going to take it because I'm with you. I think Austin Rivers has become a better decision maker in that, yes, he's still going to take a couple of step back three pointers off the dribble here and there because he's Austin Rivers and he's a backup guard and he's inconsistent. But at the same time, where his game is now, and we've talked about it at length in this episode, the decision making far improved. And I think why not? He can shoot above 40% and he'll, he's going to have games shoots seven of eight from three-point range and is the reason why the Clippers essentially win a game that maybe they shouldn't. And, of course, the other side of that, he is going to have games where, you know, he maybe shoots one of five, one of six, and is the reason why the Clippers weren't able to be in a game. But I'm going to take it, Austin Rivers, above 40% from three-point range to close out the year, and we will see if both of us are correct. Point number two here on Take It or Leave It, the Clippers will have a starter in the All-Star game. And right now, Blake Griffin, ninth in the Western Conference front court. Chris Paul, fifth, probably I think would be the only candidate. So maybe this question is, does Chris Paul start in the All-Star game? <laughs> fifth, as I said, in the Western Conference backcourt voting, but over 3,000 votes behind James Harden, who is second. What do, you, what do you think? Take it or leave it, Robert? I'm sadly going to leave this one. Well, actually, not that sadly. I don't think... Any of them particularly deserve it this year, to be honest. The one who's hurt the most, actually, is DJ, because up until a year or two ago, they would have it as two guards, two forwards, and a center. And I think DJ would have a shot at the center position just because the top three teams don't have centers. Capello's been good, but he's injured. Gasol is not an all-star anymore. And Pachulia is, actually has the votes, but he wouldn't get put in by the, uh, the coaches and players. So if that was the case, I think DJ would have a shot. But in the front court, no way. Griffin's missed way too much time for him to be voted in by, you know, his, his contemporaries in the NBA and the, and the coaches. And I think Paul just hasn't – he's been amazing this year. He's, he's going to make the all-star game. Um, he's going to be one of the, you know, first guys off the bench. But Russell Westbrook and James Harden have had better years than him, and they've played in more games. They've been more, you know, their stats are more eye popping. So I don't see any way he starts over either one of those two guys. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to leave this one simply because there's there's too many things working against Chris Paul, and I think Blake mm-hmm. Griffin, if he was healthy, certainly would have a, a very yeah. healthy chance at making the All Star game. But because he's been injured for now the past couple weeks and still going to be out for for the next few weeks, no chance that I don't even think he makes it because of the missed time. And yeah. and Chris Paul. The injury works against him. The Golden State fan votes go against him going to <laughs> Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and just the absurd stat lines and, and play of James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Um, whether it's Curry and Harden 
starting, whether it's Harden and Westbrook, Curry and Westbrook, any combination of those three. I think two of those three are certainly your Western Conference starters in the backcourt, but no question that Chris Paul makes it. Um, Just sort of as a follow-up to that then, do you think DeAndre Jordan makes it, makes the All-Star game as a reserve? Because I think, you know, he's gone on saying that he won't participate in a dunk contest unless (laughs) our team. And I, I personally, and I'm sure it's not just me who, who has really want, who has really wanted DeAndre Jordan in the dunk contest, but I really want it to happen. I think he would put on an absolute show. Clippers fans are privileged to see night in and night out. Do you think DeAndre Jordan makes it as a reserve? I don't. I mean, I would. Well, I actually you know. What? I think he does. I think he sneaks in because I think. Fans would rather see a young guy like Carl Anthony Towns or even a DeMarcus Cousins, but I think for players and especially coaches, the idea of winning uh, trumps a lot of you know pure stats and you know eye popping plays and stuff. So I think they will vote him more heavily than they would you know Towns or or Cousins or even a much younger player like Jokic. So I think you know the West front court is a bit weaker than the backcourt you know you have guys like Anthony Davis as well and Draymond Green and Durant and Leonard but I think Jordan should be able to sneak his way into one of the last two spots and as for the dunk contest I mean I think I generally don't think big men are as good in dunk contests because they can't necessarily do all the fancy like between the legs type things but he would put on a show because he just he's so he can put on such a display of just sheer force and leaping ability that I think it would be quite remarkable. So, yeah, I think I would love to see him in the All-Star game, and I would really love to see him in the dunk contest. So, I think he does. I think he will. I think he will. I think he'll slip in. Yeah, I think I think he's sort of that last guy on there uh, on the mm-hmm. Western Conference All-Star roster, and I hope he does because I think it's been well-deserved, especially with where his game has come in the last couple of years, especially being just, you know, first-team All-Defense last year and, and being the you know, one of the two or three best centers in the entire NBA. Yeah. Number three statement on our take it or leave it segment here. Blake Griffin plays 35 or more games this season. Now, right now, the Clippers just finished up game number 40 against the Miami Heat. And if you look ahead to the schedule, that would essentially mean Blake Griffin misses only five more games, which would put him at a return on January 23rd against the Atlanta Hawks. Do you think Blake Griffin plays 35 or more? I do not. I think that they are going to be very cautious with him. I think that he is going to – I don't have any fears about him not returning or anything crazy like that. But I do not think he's going to come back until 23rd. I'd say, like, maybe February 2nd might be an interesting one, which is – or the 28th, actually, which is a Golden State game. Maybe that one. If not that one, maybe the Golden State game just four days later on the second. One of those is a possibility. Um, the All-Star break isn't that much farther behind, really, only a week or two. So I'd say early February is more likely. I think he probably – and they even if he does, I think they might rest him in like back-to-backs or for – games against lesser opponents. So even if he did come back, I don't think he would hit that. I think he plays in like maybe even as low as 25 more games a season. I'd say 30 is a realistic estimate. Yeah. I'm going to leave it at 35. Uh, I think, I think he gets to 30 somewhere in the 31 range, maybe Um, Mm -hmm. it falls just short of the 35 range. I'd, I'd like to think he'd be back for that February 2nd game, which would be at home against golden state. Um, They would play four days before, as you mentioned, but that game is in Oakland against the Warriors. So maybe they bring him back that February 1st to give him a little tune-up game at Phoenix, but at the same time, then you're playing back-to-back games the next day against the Warriors. So maybe not the best thing for a guy coming off knee surgery, playing back-to-back games um, and back-to-back days. So I think he <laughs> falls short, but... Health is the main thing. You want to be fully healthy going into the playoffs, regardless of what seed you are. Um, you want to make sure that your big guns, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, are completely healthy because what you don't want is lingering issues uh, that end 
in a catastrophic ending to the season as we experienced last year against the Blazers in the first round. So moving on to point number four in take it or leave it, the Clippers finish with a top three seed in the West. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show and kind of touched upon a little bit, Clippers right now in the four seed um, have kind of regained their footing ahead about a game or two of now seeds five through seven, which go to the jazz Grizzlies and the thunder. They've been kind of flip-flopping each and every night, it seems but Clippers still four and a half back now of the Houston Rockets. I was hoping it was going to be three and a half back when we recorded this show because the Rockets were down late in the third quarter by double digits to the Raptors before going on an absolute offensive tear and pulling that one out, typical of the Houston Rockets. But I think I know where both of us are going to stand on this one, (laughs) but but let's see. What do you think? Clippers finish with the top three seed. Again, uh, I'm sad I, I would leave it. I don't think they're going to make it. I think, you know, honestly, I mean, Houston's not even that far behind San Antonio or Golden State now. I don't think Golden State is going to slip, certainly. I think San Antonio might actually be the most likely just because they're so reliant on Kawhi. But at the same time, he's like a machine, and Popovich will grind that win somewhere or another. If anything, they might even overtake Golden State for one. Houston, I'm still kind of – there's a possibility just because, like I've said, every time we've talked about Houston and like people said at the start of the year, they're playing injury-prone players, historically very injury-prone players, pretty big minutes. You know, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, Nene, among them, Patrick Beverly, too. He's already been injured a couple times this year. Those guys all get injured a lot, and I missed a ton of games, especially over the past couple of years, but... They haven't, outside of Beverly for a few games, they haven't missed much this year. So if a couple of those guys miss, in addition to Capella, the Clippers could make up ground. But I would not bet on it at this point. I think odds drop by the day. You know, every day Griffin doesn't come back and Houston stays injury-free and winning, the odds go down another couple percent. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave that one. I think they finish fourth. Now, the optimist in me really wants to say, take it. And and especially that a lot of that has to do with the return of Chris Paul coupled with, you know, sort of the lightened schedule for the Clippers yeah. in the next couple of weeks while Blake is out. And that's something we touched upon last week in that the Clippers, you know, for the rest of the month of January, play three teams that are above 500. That's Oklahoma City at Atlanta and then against the Warriors on January 28th in Oakland. So that does give you a lot of optimism moving forward in that the Clippers, you know, can give you maybe, you know, somewhere in the nine and hopefully like a nine and three, eight and four record while Chris Paul is back and Blake Griffin's still out. But at the same time, the Clippers are going to have to play at a very high level just to catch the Rockets being where they are now. Um, As you mentioned, the Rockets are closer to the Warriors than the Clippers are to the Rockets. So I think now it's just, it's sort of, too much ground to make up with what you have left and with Blake Griffin being out. I don't think that in order to catch the Rockets, and as you mentioned, you know, I think the only way the Rockets tumble is an injury to one of their key guys. Eric Gordon has been very injury prone. Um, he would be a big loss for them. If James Harden's play for some reason dips below the absurd levels that he's been playing at <laughs> chance, but in Mike D'Antoni's system, I just don't see it. It's a very frustrating way that they play and frustrating to see the Rockets doing so well as a Clippers fan. But at the same time, health is the main thing going into the playoffs. If the Clippers can get a four seed, I think you're certainly happy with that, given where this team was injury-wise at this point in time. At the same time, that also sets up a matchup with the Warriors in the second round, which is something all of us here at Clips Nation didn't want looking into the season and, and <laughs> yeah. none of us were predicting. We were certainly predicting, especially after the team's hot start that it was, you know, there's no way this team could fall below the top three in the West, but injuries happen. Things like this happen. <sighs> and who knows what's going to happen in the coming months. You never know, but for now I'm going to have to say, leave it. Yep. Lastly on take it or leave it here. Our last statement, the Clippers finish with 60 technical fouls as a team right now they stand at 34 with 40 games 40 games into the season so projected right around you know 68 to 70 technical fouls on the year but doc rivers just a few days ago has emphasized 
his team committing less technical fouls and being more composed and certainly not complaining to the refs as much. And really, it's I found it kind of hypocritical for Doc Rivers to say that, considering I believe he needs all coaches with six technical yeah. fouls on the season. But yeah. a couple of times the NBA has gone back saying that he shouldn't have received a technical foul, but hindsight's twenty twenty. He did get those technicals, and in the heat of the moment, I think the team takes after Doc Rivers in that sense, being you know, very agitated and very emotional with every call that goes against them. So take it or leave it, 60 technical fouls as a team for the Clippers. I'm going to take it. I think that they do finish with 60 or very close to that. I, you know, I'll just say 60. I think they will cut down a little bit. You know, that'll be projecting 26, which is quite a few less than the 34 they have right now. So, I mean, that can still show some solid improvement. I think it's kind of a New Year's resolution for them, and everybody knows how quickly and how, you know, thoroughly a lot of New Year's resolutions are broken <laughs> within just a few weeks of them being made. So I I don't see it. You know, I completely agree with you on Doc. You know, I think that he is a good coach, but he definitely complains a lot. Chris Paul has always complained a fair amount. Blake Griffin you know, even before Doc Rivers, I think. So, you know, Austin certainly does. And, you know, most Spates has a hot, you know, and in general, you know, I think they're a team that, you know, attracts technical fouls. And I don't always think that's a bad thing. You know, sometimes it can be very costly. Those points add up. You know, you don't want the players to miss games with 16 or more. You start getting suspended. But I think as a whole, you know, I like when, Teams show motion, especially teams like the Clippers, which oftentimes seem like they play kind of passionlessly and without energy. Getting angry is at least a sign that they care, but they're engaged. So I don't honestly mind technical fouls that much from the players. You know, with the coaches, it's a little bit different. I'd like a little bit more of a level head. So to get the team fired up on occasion, you know, fighting for them, I think is acceptable. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they shut down as well as they they help. But I, I do think they'll show some improvement, you know. Twenty five or twenty six compared to thirty four is definite improvement. So I'm hoping I'm hoping, but I don't really mind to be honest. So yeah, I'll take it. I think they get sixty. Yeah, we're gonna make it a perfect five for five in agreeing with each other on our first <laughs> segment. I'll have to make the next next week's take it or leave it a little more polarizing and have a little bit of more discrepancy between the both of us. But yeah, I'm with you, especially, you know, that's sort of not only do the Clippers have a lot of hotheads and a lot of not necessarily hotheads, but a lot of, you know, very emotional guys in the heat of the moment that can get on refs cases, but it's sort of become an identity for this team and, and sort of a reputation now where any sort of complaining to a referee, they'll usually have a quick whistle with it. We saw that, with the Austin Rivers situation against the Houston Rockets um, about a week and a half ago on a slight bump to a referee that I think was absolutely unintentional and just sort of happened with his momentum after driving to the rim. And that was just an absurd call. But at the same time with the Clippers reputation as being one of the top complainers in the league, if you will, um, which I think everyone in this league complains, especially the star players in this league. But I digress on that point. Yeah, I'm with you that the Clippers, while they may cut it down a little bit, especially being sort of a New Year's resolution for the team, as you mentioned, I still think they get to 60, maybe maybe even closer to 65, not on pace to the 70 that they are now. But but yeah, I think it's it's who they are at this point. They're an emotional, fired up team. And I don't think that's gonna that's gonna change just because Doc has sort of come out to the media saying they need to be more composed in these situations. So That'll do it for take it or leave it. Let's just do a quick look to the week ahead. And there's not much to speak of there, being that it is a light schedule for the Clippers this week. Wednesday night, they'll play at home against the Orlando Magic. Last time against Orlando, Austin Rivers had one of his many coming out parties this season with seven three-pointers and 25 points in the Clippers' victory. Aaron Gordon, though, for Orlando, had a very huge game. So we'll look to see if... Luke and Ba Mute can have a better game in shutting down Aaron Gordon and maybe uh, curtail his point output a little bit. And then Saturday, after the Clippers get an additional two days off following their game against the Magic, they'll remain at home 
against the Los Angeles Lakers, their Staples Center co-tenants. It'll be a revenge game for the Clippers uh, following that Christmas Day game that the Clippers lost to the Lakers first time in a while. But both Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were out for that ball game. Chris Paul will now be back, or at least so we assume, given mm-hmm. that he has played the last two games. I'm going to say, go ahead and say it's two and a week for the team. I'm for the team this week. I'm very pleased with how they played these last three games, especially without Chris Paul against the Memphis Grizzlies. I think this team has showed a market improvement from their six game losing streak, you know, just a little over a week ago. And, and I'm very optimistic now that Chris Paul is back in the lineup, because as I mentioned at the top of this show, just having him back in gives you that sense of optimism coming into every single game that, now with a top five player in the NBA back in their starting lineup, they perform at a much higher level than they were without. And these teams, both Orlando and the Lakers looking like they're going to be lottery teams this year. And I think yeah. it should be very easy victories um, with Chris Paul back in the fold. What about you? This is going to come completely opposite to what I said just a few days ago, where I said to ignore the win loss record of the coming three games, the Clippers went three and zero, which I was happy to see. This week, it's the exact opposite. The Clippers have to win these two games. You know, there are a few reasons for that. One, Chris Paul is back. He needs to be by far the best player on the court against either team. You know, he needs to dominate. The rest of the Clippers need to step up. Utah and the Lakers. Utah is like a, a very mediocre team. They would be the eighth seed in the West. They're a below average team that, you know, has some good players. The Lakers are mostly just a mess at this point. Their defense is, is a trash fire. So... The Clippers need to win both of those games. And in terms of seeding-wise, if they're going to try to catch Houston, they absolutely need to win these games. They have a ton of rest that are against not very good teams. They're at home. Those are the games where, like, you, if you can't make up ground, you have to not fall farther behind. And then they've built up a, a bigger cushion than they had just a week or so ago against the farther back seeds, especially like Oklahoma City and Memphis. But Utah is finally getting healthy. I've said that like three times this year as well. And they always get injured again. But they're healthy again. And they're by far the most talented over all of those teams. They're only two games back. And even worse than the four seed would be the five seed against Utah. Because then you don't have even home court advantage in the first round. And honestly, even with Blake, if the Clippers don't have first home court advantage, you know, that's a very tough series. So, they need to stay ahead of Utah and as close to Houston as possible. You know, in a week or in a couple weeks, if they've fallen farther behind and Houston looks untouchable and Utah is, you know, right there and the other teams are keeping pace, that's when you can sort of start thinking about, like, you know, maybe do we fall to six or seven to try to avoid the Warriors and even Utah kind of? I mean, that does put you in against the Rockets or Spurs, but at least avoids the Warriors thinking farther down the line. So I don't know, but right now, just the direct position they're in, and this will be highly variable in the weeks to come. They need to win games. They need to try to stay within range of Houston and they need to beat teams like Orlando and the Lakers, which is one is eh, and the other is not good. So we'll see, but I'm, I'm confident. I agree with you. I think they will win both of those games. I think they're feeling good right now. I think they're playing well. And then after that, the schedule does get a little bit harder, you know, with OKC, and then they get, start going on the road against some slightly better opponents with the Hawks and Nuggets and stuff. But, yeah, I think they go 2-0, and and hopefully a week from now, the Clippers might have actually made up some ground in that, you know, race for the three-seed against Houston. Yeah, one thing I think we both can agree on as we close this show is – Thank you, Lord, that the point God is back, Chris Paul, back in the starting (laughs) lineup now for the foreseeable future and gives to me and all of Clippers Nation a much larger sense of optimism as we as we take on the rest of this season. So thank you, Robert, for joining me this week. Had a lot of fun, uh, especially with our new segment. Hopefully we could kind of change it up next week. We're going to have our mid-season report, um, given that the Clippers just played their 40th game of the year. So next week we'll do sort of, you know, a half season, give out, dish out some grades, some mid-season awards, kind of take a look at this team uh, from a broader scope with the first half of the season in the books. Lighter schedule for the Clippers, so we're hoping for good things this week. So again, Robert, thank you very much. And as always, go Clippers. We're going to play. 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 Play
gain the corner for three. Big goal, two in a row for J.J. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect New Year, New You portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti, all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 